Here at Doxadea Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. It is so great being able to spend time with you today as we take our second step in this amazing journey that we call Come As You Are. And uh, I truly hope that uh, someone invited you, that someone sent this link to you, and that whatever you're going to hear today will really bless your heart and will have impact in terms of your life. We are busy with this very, very important word that Jesus actually used, which is very important to us, when Jesus was so much more interested in inviting us, inviting you to discover who He is so that your life can change than just being God in the traditional sense and uh, putting something of a demand on your life. And I'm so, I'm so uh, uh, intrigued in the reality of the gospel that so many times Jesus made this, this introduction. He, that was His story. He made this invitation come. And uh, we are busy in this season where we really experience God calling you, God saying to you, come closer, come find rest, come find newness, come find the life that I promise to give to you. And uh, while we're talking about this word, last week we stopped at this reality of Jesus just bringing this new picture of God to us. Not the picture of the almighty God, although we know that is who He is. Not the picture of the demanding God, although we know that He has the best intentions of taking our lives somewhere, but showing to us the heart of the Father. And I think if there's something that needs to happen in your heart during this series, it would be to discover that more than anything else, God wants you to discover. God wants you to know Him as Father. Because if the question is what would change in terms of anything you knew about God, what would change if you discover Him to be Father? The answer is everything will change. Who you are, the way you do life, the way that you see things, the way that you perceive reality will be changed if you discover who God really is. And uh, uh, this made me think about this little story I once heard of a, a country farmer. So uh, he was taking his nephew out uh, camping for the very first time. And this nephew was a very clever man, probably one of the smartest there is. He had many degrees and uh, they pitched their tent right there outside and uh, uh, they fell asleep. And then somewhere during the night, the farmer woke up and he looked up and he realized that uh, uh, he sees the stars and he woke up his nephew and said, what do you see? And the nephew said, well, um, I see billions of stars. And the farmer said, so what does that mean to you? And the, and the nephew thought a moment and he said, no, definitely. When I look at that astronomically, that says that uh, there's a billion of galaxies out there. And if I look at it meteorologically, I would say tomorrow is going to be a beautiful day with fantastic weather. And if I look at it theologically, I would say God is the great creator of everything. And then if you ask, and uh, what does it tell you? The old farmer thought a moment and then he said, well, I see stars. Someone stole our tent. 
I think the reality many times in terms of what Jesus said, it can become the big discussion in terms of theology. It can be the big discussion in terms of philosophy, trying to figure out the big questions of life. But when we find Jesus in John chapter 7, he stands at a very specific point in history, looking at a very specific bunch of people standing before him, people that, that went through the struggle of humanity, that went through the struggle of an Old Testament system of, of religion and, and rituals and sacrifices. And he stood up in verse 37 and he says the following words. He says, um, verse 37, let anyone who is thirsty come and drink. You see, if I should ask you like the former, what does that mean to you? What, what do you understand that Jesus is saying here? I think we can have big discussions and we can have discussions on, on, on the historical relevance of Christ and we can have discussions on, 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 on whether this, how it happened in history and what happened before this and what happened after this. You see, Jesus is not talking to a bunch of theologians or a bunch of philosophies here. He's talking to ordinary people. He's talking to you and me. And the first thing that he is saying is he's saying, come, come, come to me. You see, he's not giving an invitation to the people that's trying to answer the biggest questions in life. He's, he's, he's talking to people that understand, people that live in a desert, that understands the reality of being thirsty, not having something to drink. And in this reality, he's saying, listen, your thirst today in this current reality that we call life post-COVID in 2022, maybe you still do not understand and maybe you never had a reference of really being thirsty. I've never had a reference like that. But you see, I carry stuff inside me that, that's like a thirst. And that can be stuff like the purposelessness of my life. Why am I here? What am I doing on this planet? What is, what, is, what is the reason for my existence? It can be questions of guilty feelings that I carry and, and a conviction of, of the fact that I don't have a clear conscious, conscience. It can be questions of whether I am good enough whether I am not unclean or unworthy or, or not qualifying, it can be questions of I am weak and I do not know how to handle life. I need strength in my life. It can be questions of fear. I look at the future and I wonder what lies ahead and what will happen tomorrow. And I, I, some of us even asking the question in terms of God. How do I understand God? Because I understand something of my need, of the emptiness inside me. But how do I address it? You see, that is the questions of thirst today. And Jesus says, come. And then he says, to me. And he's talking about the fact that he's inviting us to life. Not a religious system. Not a system of, of new morals. Not some faith system, not some self-help system, not some social club. He's inviting us to discover Him and to 
for us to discover how His love for us is a reality big enough to address even the biggest thirst in my life. And then He says, come to me and drink. You know, that, that's an invitation not to come and say, listen, come to me. I'll make you a monk. I'll, I'll make you a priest. I'll make you some weirdo. He's saying, come and be satisfied. Come and be satisfied in the deepest of who you are. If you, if you respond to this invitation that I am putting out there for you. Jesus goes on in verse 37 as this follower of Jesus, the man that wrote the book of John, gives this picture. He says, come, drink. Then he says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow out of him. Jesus is making a promise here, saying that if you discover him, it will not just be that the bare necessity of your thirst will be quenched, but that something will happen on the inside of who you are that will actually put you in a position where you will go thirsty never again. Because now you will be a source of water. That is the kind of promises that Jesus makes in this process. You see, last week we spoke about God the Father inviting us to come to this new life. Today, I want to talk to you about if I do come, if I do accept this invitation, what will happen to me? And the first reality is that the thing that God will address in my life is what we spoke about last week. If I discover He's my Father, I will discover that I am His child. That there's an existing relationship between the two of us. God is not trying to get me into something that I've never been before. Way before I was broken. Way before I went astray. Way before my life fell apart. Way before I had this unquenchable thirst in my life. God was there and He had me in His picture. I was part of His plan. The moment that I discover I am His child, we are addressing identity. You will never, ever understand who you are unless you understand the source from which you are. Where you come from, who designed you, who dreamt about you, who had the thoughts of making you in the unique way that you exist today, unless you discover that, you will never understand who you are. And it will always be a difficult thing to explain and live with yourself. You see, if I say, bring a box, inside the box, put everything you would want me to understand of who you are. You would bring a box with a bunch of photos. You might even put some snacks in there, some priorities, some some stuff that's valuable to you. And I will see an amazing picture of your life, but I will still not understand who you are unless I understand where you come from, unless I understand how you were formed, what was the influences of your life, how did you get to think the way that you think? And when we talk about identity, the problem is not just that we live in an identity-less world, but the problem with identity is that identity precedes activity. If I do not know who I am, I will always be the the victim of some activity that flows out of this undefined identity. I don't know who I am, so I don't know why I do this. But the moment we come to Christ, 
We are not just introduced to God as a father. We are introduced to ourselves. It always stirs my heart when I, when I read the Bible and especially the, the Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament, second part of the Bible. When we see Jesus living as a human being, um, God on earth eating like we do, drinking water like we do, going thirsty like we do, why on earth would, would that happen? Why would God allow that to happen? Couldn't Jesus just have come and made the people angry and they could have taken him to the cross and he could have been a sacrifice, but he came into our space to live as a human being. You see, the thing is that Jesus is not just the example for us. He's the example of us. Can you imagine a human being that does not have a thirst on the inside, that does not have the emptiness of relationship on the inside, a human being that's not asking the questions in terms of his, of his purpose, that does, that's not asking the question in terms of how, why he is the way that he is, but understands that perfectly because he came into this world with a clear understanding of his identity. And that is for us to see what it looks like. What it looks like when an ordinary human being understands who he is. That inspires us. You see, there's a story in the Bible about the identity of, of, of humanity. That is such a disturbing story. And that is in the book of Genesis. You know, every good sermon should have a, a, a reference to the book of Genesis. That's just where everything started. And in this story, it is God that created mankind, and we understand that as, the, as a story about creation. We don't go into the facts, trying to understand the science, because the Bible is not explaining the science. He's telling the picture. He's telling us the story of God, the Creator, bringing mankind into existence and bringing the purpose of mankind into this picture. And then in that perfect story of the garden in which Adam and Eve lived, we see this terrible moment in Genesis 3 verse 5 when the enemy, in the form of a snake, comes to Adam and Eve. And he says the following, he says, For God knows that when you eat from this tree that God said you should not eat, that was the story, your eyes will be open. And then listen to this, he says, And you will be like God. You will know good and evil. Now, this sounds like a very good promise. I, I mean, who, who does not want something extra to understand who you are? But the problem in this little sentence that the enemy brings to humanity is the fact that when Adam and Eve listens to this, they misses just one fact, one very important fact. And that is just barely two chapters before that, when God created Adam and Eve, he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. You see, it was not as if Adam and Eve did not carry the fingerprints of God all over their lives, all over their bodies, all over their physical, emotional, and spiritual creation. That is who mankind is. It is an expression of the creativity of a loving God pouring all of that out into the form that made man. God was impressed when he made man. And he was so impressed by this beautiful union between Adam and Eve. There was no need for Adam or Eve to feel that they needed to add anything. 
to discover who they are, to be, to add anything, to be like God in a bigger way because they were already, they were already like Him. He was the origin. He was the maker. He was the architect. He was the creator. He poured himself into that picture, that beautiful picture in Genesis. As God bows over this newly formed human being and breathes the breath of life into Adam. There was the connection. It was already there. But for a moment, Adam and Eve listens to the voice of the enemy saying, you need to do something to be like. And they believe a lie. They believe the fact that they need to do something to improve themselves, to be worthy in a bigger way, to answer the big questions of life in a better way. They need to do something and they fall for the trick of lost identity. And suddenly, they need to do something. Now they, they need to run around and find clothes. Now they run around and compare themselves to one another. I mean, it's just a few moments after Adam and Eve falling for this lie that they actually, their children, turn on one another and kill one another. Can you believe it? That's the reality of lost identity. If I do not know who I am, I cannot respect and love who you are, and then I will compare myself and I will be jealous and then I will hurt you so that I can feel better and can be better than you are because I don't know who I am. Just one chapter, just one story later, this is what happens with humanity. The story of lost identity is the picture of who you and I am. That's the reality. That is our, that is our narrative. The story of not knowing. The story of thinking we need to add something. Well, that is not the truth. Neil Anderson says, no person can constantly behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way that he perceives himself. And that is the story of our brokenness. That is the story of our lostness. So many voices in this world today will try to convince you that you are a failure, you are a fool, you are of no use, you are not a good Christian, you are worthless, you are an embarrassment, you are wasting the time of others, you are inferior, you are destined to fall short and you will never have success, you are a hopeless victim of your past, you can't change your future, you're an excuse for a Christian, you are owned by someone else and you will never be able to change. That is the reality of a lost identity. Add to that the reality in this world in which we live in 2020. The fact that we believe that image is everything. I mean, people pay large amounts of money to improve their image, to wear the best clothes. And I'm not against good clothes. I mean, buy good clothes if you can afford it. But do not depend on anything else to be added to who you are because nothing can change that unless you find out who the one is that made you. Nothing will change it. You can bear wear the most expensive shoes. You can, you can go for the best uh, options in terms of improving yourself. But that will not change who you are. This world literally 
draws us to that. Every magazine, every billboard, every advert, everything on Facebook, everything on, on every media platform, will you, you will be introduced to a picture that makes you feel you can be better by adding something. And the reality is image is not everything. Image is actually not even important at all. Secondly, this world says that whatever you do says who you are. Your performance, the way that you are task-orientated and that you accumulate and that you uh, gain wealth and status and success in this world will make you a better person, will show other people who you are. That becomes a trap in which so many lives are ruined because there's no reward in performance in terms of identity. No reward. It is only in terms of comfort. It is only in terms of quality of life. But it's nothing to do with identity. Then this world also teaches us. We hear the voices that if you want to be somebody, you have to have power. You know, that's the story of Adam and Eve and their children. Right after believing this lie they need to find fig leaves and after the fig leaves their children they're fighting about who's the best and who's bringing the best offer and then the next moment someone takes power over the life of another and he takes away the life of another as one brother kills the other one to show his 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 superiority because if i do not have power i am nothing that is not the picture of who you are. When we talk about the gospel, we hear the promise of changed identity from thirsty to fountain, from someone that is in need to someone that has an abundant supply of whatever is needed. That is the issue of identity. So in Romans 8 verse 29, Paul writes the following sentence, and it's probably one of those deeper theological sentences but if you for a moment just allow me to explain something about what he's saying here he's saying for those god foreknew he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters what would the simple explanation of this verse be it is the fact That when God made you, He already knew who you were. And the picture that He used to make you was the image of His Son. He duplicated the one He loved the most in making you. You are a duplicate of the one that God loves the most. His fingerprints are all over you. You are the one that this picture represents to God. As one of being loved. That's who you are. The image of his son was before him when he made you. He was like the artist sitting with with his canvas looking at the beautiful mountain. And he was duplicating, he was replicating the beauty of the mountain on the canvas. So that if he looks at the canvas, he will be reminded about his love for the original. You see, 
Sometimes I've many times wondered in my life, why would God love me? Why would God love me if I disappoint Him, if I disappoint people, if I am a failure, if I do not make it, if I do not qualify, if I have all these storms in my life? Why would God love me? I want to promise you God loves you because of the one He took the reference from in making you. God can never look at you and forget the quality that was used to make you. God loves you and that is irreversible. It can never, ever change. There's a story in the Bible about a man I really love. A man with the name of, of Peter. He was one of Jesus' followers. We read about him in Matthew chapter 16 as Jesus is kind of confronting his followers with a very important question. He asks them, who do you say I am? And the story is like this. I want to read it to you from verse 13. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? He replied, they replied, some say you are John the Baptist, others say you are Elijah, that's historical figures. Still others say you are Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, but what about you? And then, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is the picture where, where Simon Peter is saying, is sitting with the other followers of Jesus. And Jesus asks, who am I? And suddenly in a moment, for this Peter, comes the, the brightness of revelation. For the first time he sees Jesus for who he is. And, he, and he, he, he voices it. And he says, you are the son of God. And the moment that Peter says that, Jesus says, you are no longer who you were. You are no longer Simon. Now you will be Peter. He literally changes his name in that moment. Why would Jesus do it? Because he was showing the reality of what happens when we discover Christ. And we think we need to get to know him, by, and we just discover he knows us better than anyone else. And when he knows us, that says something about who we are. And when we see Him and we recognize Him, we're actually looking in a mirror. And when we see Him, we see ourselves. We discover who we are. And suddenly everything changes. You know, it's terrible. That name Simon, it was actually, that was his, his, his birth name. And uh, that name meant something very crazy. It either meant weakling or someone with a flat nose. I know, somewhere between that. It was not a very comforting name. It was not a very, very nice name to actually carry. Being called weakling. Can you imagine what a time his brothers had calling him weakling all the time? Flat nose weakling. Then Jesus looks at him and he says, Simon, Peter, because you discovered me, you will no longer be Simon. You will now be Peter. You will be a rock. You will be one of strength. And on this conviction of who I am, not on Peter, on the conviction of who Jesus is, I will build my church. 
and not even all the forces of the enemy in all of history will be able to change this. There's a sturdiness. There's a strength. There's a power in you when you discover yourself in Christ that puts everything else on the outside. That is the moment of identity change. Paul, the same guy, writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. I bet you're reading this verse and you're listening to this verse, missing the fact that God, whoever you are today, whoever you are reading the Bible, that God calls you my chosen people. You are chosen. He calls you holy. God, you are making a mistake. You don't know who I am. This picture of holy, that's not me. There's probably someone in church that's holy, but that's not me. And love? Lord, why would I be loved? Well, God chose you. You see, long before you and I got lost, He already had His eye on us. He was the one that was keeping an eye on us our whole lives long. He was the one that desired us to discover Him. Never mind putting the pressure on us to find Him and then try to change just to make Him happy. He was the one desiring us to discover this. That's why He chose us, because He knew your value, because He knew your worth. He chose you before you chose Him. Holy? That doesn't mean sinless. That means set apart for special use. That means God has a purpose for your life. That means that God brings something to your life that the moment that that happens in you, you will find the reason, the purpose why you exist and you will never be able to understand it unless you find it in Him. He calls you beloved. You know, there's this beautiful story in, in Matthew 3 as Jesus is making ready to enter in His ministry to in the end be the sacrifice for all our sins, where Jesus is baptized, and at that moment, uh, as he went down into the water, heaven opened. The Spirit of God, descending like a dove, came and he sat on him, and there was this voice that says, This is my Son, whom I love, and who with whom I am well pleased. You see, that is the moment that you and I need from God. Understanding that we are the loved ones from God. When God literally speaks over your life, saying, I love you. And you would say, God, there's a thousand reasons. There's a million reasons why you shouldn't love me. And he will say, I don't care. I still love you. And nothing that you can do changes that. And nothing that you don't do changes that. And nothing that you cannot perform or you cannot accomplish will ever change the fact that I love you. Jesus, after having this moment, goes into the desert. The enemy, just like with Adam, comes to him. And the enemy constantly asks him to do crazy things. And then he, the enemy would recognize him to be the Son of God, but he leaves out one important word. The fact that Jesus heard from the Father, I am the loved Son of God. I'm not just the Son of God. And every time the enemy comes with a new strategy, 
Jesus disarms him because he understood not just identity in the fact that he was the son of God. He understood the love motivation behind identity. My friend, trying to figure out who you are, trying to figure out why you're here, trying to figure out what you should do with your life, trying to figure out how you fix the messes that you and I create without any help from anybody. We do it all on our own. Figuring that out is not possible without finding it in the one that actually made you. Seeing your origin, seeing where you come from will help you to discover who you are. What happens when I get to know God? I find myself. And with that, I, I change from a thirsty individual to a fountain pouring out life right around me. Let's pray together. Father, today, as we hear your, your word, as we are confronted with this good news, God, that you were actually thinking about me through all of time, that you had me in mind through all of time, through all of history, not just that moment on the cross when Jesus died and my sin was upon him. That was not the only moment you had in mind because I am more than my sin. I am more than my faults. I am more than my mistakes. I am more than my failures. I am loved by God. And that was set before time started. God, thank you that you did not make up your mind about us yesterday. Thank you that you are not considering in this moment whether I am worthy, whether you love me, whether you desire my life to change. Thank you that that is set way before time. Thank you, Lord, that today I can discover that. Lord, when we come to you, we do not just want to feel sorry about our sin. We want life. We want the thirst to be replaced by a fountain. We want to experience the promise that you made, that we will be new. Lord, thank you that that is what you will do. Lord, and for every person today trying to figure out, every person becoming aware of God, whether that was at a minus 10 or at a zero or at a plus nine, Lord, let us walk away from here today knowing that we are loved, we are chosen, we are holy, not because of who we are, but because of who you made us to be. You put value in humanity and nothing, not even sin, not even the voices of the enemy, not even my identity uh, confusion could ever change that. What you made, Lord, you still see today. And thank you that we are worthy to be saved. Thank you that we are worthy to be loved. Thank you that we are worthy to know you and to discover new life in you. And I pray for this faith, for this knowledge, for this conviction to be stirred in every person listening to these words today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.